Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Here I stand. A man not free. Whip markers on my back. Shackles on both feet. Picking cotton in the stone. He prayed the Lord my soul. Keep for one day he came and told me. In the year of 1831, I awoke at dawn to see his vision in the sun. It seemed that the clouds parted to the villa's tongue. He said, my son, the revolution has begun. And with that, I knew... Good afternoon and welcome to this episode of the live drive at five right here on black talk radio my name is scotty reed of course i am doing this broadcast from behind these enemy lines we call the united states of america where liberty and justice for all is just a nice slogan that actually doesn't mean anything in practice when it comes to non-white people in this country in this country that still practices slavery under the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, but but then sells that lie by putting it all in their media. So anyway, uh, welcome to today's program. Um, hopefully, we will have a program that you find to be very informative, uh, that you will learn something, take something away from it. But don't forget that if you have something you want to share, you can do so. Uh, by giving us a call at 530-881-1400, access code 549032-POUND. Uh, to comment, hit star six. Wait for the lady to prompt you. She will say hit number one on the keypad. And then you will be able to buzz me your host. All right. Uh, today's date is January 12th, 2015. Um, thank you again for tuning in. We will be joined here in just a bit by author and truth teller Jerry Heyman, who recently published a first his first book, which is titled Black Mafia Family St. Louis, The Untold Story. Now, um, we will ask him a little bit about what the book is about, but we are bringing him on to discuss with him the plight and the plans America has for the black youth, our black youth who are trapped in a cycle of violence, poverty, police brutality, and prison enslavement. So we're looking forward to talking to Mr. Heyman here in just a bit. Um, I put a little bit about uh, him on the broadcast page. Again, if you're listening to the radio program uh, on the different platforms that we stream on, uh, you can always find the podcast either by going to blacktalkradionetwork.com because that's where you will find links to the information about our guests and any of the news stories uh, that we will be sharing today. And in the news, some of the things that I want to talk about, I want to uh, update you, of course, on the NAACP bombing. Of uh, course, as has been the past few days, there has not been a whole lot of news coverage about that. And uh, the latest news that I saw over the weekend, it, it leads me to believe that the FBI is not serious about catching uh, this terrorist who bombed the NAACP building in Colorado Springs. And I mean, it, it's just 
it's just really a joke. And um, some people made some good comments uh, about the picture that they put out of this alleged bomber. So uh, let me see uh, who this is that's calling us. Um, let me see. Seven, area code 704. Who do we have on the line? Uh, this is Jay Hill about to bring on Jerry Heyman. Uh, how you, how you doing, Mr. Hill? I'm good, man. I thought he wasn't going to be able to make it on, but uh, he, he pulled it through. So I just wanted to see if we feel good. Oh, oh yes. Well, we were scheduled to have him come on at 10, but uh, we can get started right now as soon as... Hold on, at, at 10 minutes after, right? Yeah, 10 minutes after. Okay, well, let me grab him. You can go on. Go on. Are you okay? Can I grab him real quick? Oh, uh, yes, you can. Okay, hold on. All right. All right, so we'll be talking to Mr. Heyman in just a bit here, but uh, in the news that I'll talk about later today, of course, the update on the NAACP bombing. Uh, there was an article that I published, well, actually a speech that I published uh, from the brother of Mumia Abu-Jamal. Uh, it, it's titled Cops Versus Freedom of Speech. I want to talk about that because uh, I have been in these debates with a lot of people about what constitutes protected speech. Uh, in America, of course, everybody is on this freedom of speech trip because uh, of the attacks that occurred in France with uh, the... Uh, French publication satire of uh, newspaper called Charlie Hebdo, which put out a whole bunch of you know racist yeah, and, and religious, uh, religiously bigoted uh, cartoons and, and things like that. So we don't talk about cops versus freedom of speech and the way that the state of Pennsylvania has passed a law to limit the freedom of speech or to take away the freedom of speech of prisoners. And those who have actually served their time and gotten out of prison. So, yeah, we won't talk about that. And then uh, again on the free speech, since that seems to be dominating a lot of headlines, we'll talk about Israel and America's free speech hypocrisy. Uh, if we have Mr. Heyman on the line, we can go ahead and get started uh, with him. Mr. Heyman, do we have you? Yeah, you got me on the line. All right. Greetings to you, sir. How are you, how are you this fine afternoon? Thank you. Thank you, sir. I'm I'm fine, and greetings to you, sir. To you also. All right, all right. Um, the first thing I would like you to do is, you know, give people a brief description, as much as you would like to share uh, about yourself, your personal history. Um, well, um, my name is Jerry Heyman. I'm the author of uh, the Black Mafia Family St. Louis: The Untold Story, which is uh, my first novel that uh, really gets in detail about the discrepancies in the, in the laws. When it when it comes to you know our nationality versus other nationalities with the criminal justice system, and it's a really good story because it's centered around uh, one of the BMF guys, uh, Danny Dogman Jones, is centered around his life. He got shot 17 times point blank with a 40 cal, but he still lived to tell his story. So I really think that you know God blessed him so that story can be told and shared, and hopefully you know can help some of these other young African American males that decide that. You know, if they want to go pick up a pack or go pick up a gun, maybe they'll change their mind after reading that that story. And uh, the second novel, uh, Stand Your Ground, just came out December the twenty uh, the twenty fourth of this year, and um, it's basically centered around um, you know a lot of the disparities that's going on. You know, when it comes to these laws that's justifying um, you know young black males being killed at the hands of others, and but the book. It has a, a very strong message in it because it's, it's telling us that if we learn how to mentally stand our ground, because when you're looking at the universal laws, 
you know, God's law tell us, you know, as a man thinketh, so is he. If we think negative, even though they're unjust and even though there's catastrophes happening in our life, we have to still learn how to mentally stand our ground and think positive so we can attract positive things into our life. And that's how we lose, you know, as a people, because if we get upset and we and we start thinking any kind of negative thoughts, what happened is this is, according to universal laws, these are the things that we attract into our life. So I'm a firm believer of the universal laws. This is what I write about. Um, this is what, um, you know, I'm, a, I'm also a public speaker, and I, and I go out, and this is what I speak about when, uh, when I go to uh, do engagements. And, um, you know, that's basically I'm a single father of two sons, but my sons are grown now. Uh, you know, I mean, I went from living in my car with my two sons to, um, you know, becoming a millionaire in, in, in business. And uh, and then I was actually a, a product of the system because I was convicted of tax evasion, which was, a, a, a in my opinion, was a, a definitely unjust. But at the same time, I realized, you know, who I am in America, and I, re- I realized these things happen. So I couldn't let that destroy me mentally. So I was the same thing I write about I had to actually live about. Wow, that's that's a great story, man. And um, I, I imagine with that experience going uh, from being a single father living in a car with your two sons to being successful in, in business, you know, that that's a great testimony, you know, that you were able to overcome all of those obstacles. Um, I want to back up a bit. So the book Black Mafia Family St. Louis, The Untold Story, you just talked a little bit about it so for those who may get the wrong impression this is not a book that is glorifying gang life or anything like that no it's not actually the you know this book actually the way that i target it and when people go online and they look at the reviews and they look at the comments and the reviews that that people are saying people are saying that you know this book needs to be read in in all communities especially communities where there's young african-american males that's, that's looking for a come up because this book is actually kind of teaching you that, you know, this is what you're facing. Are the, you know, is the payoff, you know, is the payoff actually worth, you know, the, the, the crime that you're going to commit versus what, you what you're facing with that. And it, it just, it's a, it's a really good story. And it has a, it has a strong message because, you know, I'm a passionate individual about my own people. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I wouldn't write something that would, you know, glorify any of my own people going out there doing something that's going to break the law, that's going to actually enslave them. Okay. The book has 17 chapters, and each chapter represents uh, one of the bullets that Danny Dogman Jones took. But it also represents it. It, it also represents the decades that the, that the African American male has been incarcerated in prison. Now, um. In some of the materials that I got in reference to it, uh, to the book, as well as, you know, the things that you're passionate about, um, it, gangs. I actually, as a young man growing up in, uh, Detroit, Michigan, I was part of one of the most infamous gangs, uh, known in Detroit history called the Young Boys Incorporated at the young age of 12 and, and 13 years old. And on, and one of the ways I escaped that life was because my mom decided it was time for us to leave and come back home to North Carolina. So that's how I was able to escape that. You know, a lot of our youth get trapped in those gangs and they're 
they're not able to escape it. Now, I was not a person who, I, you know, I didn't look to join this gang. I was targeted by the gang to join the gang, uh, so to speak, you know. Um, and that's what the book actually talks about. The book shares Danny's story of how he was actually lured into the gang. He didn't even realize what he was getting involved in when he got involved in it. He first started off dealing with these guys by Big Meech and his brother Cherry by selling them dogs because, I mean, he breed, he breeded and trained dogs. Mm-hmm. So through his life, I showed that, that is the, that's the lifestyle of the, that's the story of a lot of our young African American males because when they first get in, they don't realize what they're getting into until they got into it. And then one of the terminologies I used in the book, and then that's when immediate gratification kicked in because they started seeing the fancy cars and the quick money. Mm-hmm. And so they were they were gratified immediately by that, and then they were sucked in. And once they were sucked into that system, then they also eventually become sucked into the other system, which is almost just like the similarity to slavery because it's imprisonment. Right. Um, actually, we produce a program called New Abolitionist Radio, uh, because we are picking up the work of old, older, um, abolitionists like Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, and, and many, many others because, uh, the 13th Amendment has a slavery exception clause that says that, you know, slavery and voluntary servitude can own, is only abolished or prohibited unless you've been convicted of a crime. And I think that explains why the United States has the world's largest prison uh, population. Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. Well, I, I went back 17 decades. And 17 decades ago when the first African-American male entered the prison system, there was 185 prisoners. And 159 of those was young black males. And so that disparity hasn't changed. We have 13% of the United States population is African-Americans, yet we make up 43% of the of the prison population so it hasn't changed and it and in the book i show how the system is designed to do just that and in order for you not to fall into that trap you know you have to know what you're you know you got to know what you're fighting against or else you can't win can, can you share with us just one example from, that you share in the book of how the system is designed to lay these traps well, one of the one of the laws that I I did a lot of research on because, you know, a while back we we were fighting this uh, crack cocaine to powder cocaine issue because they said that you know crack cocaine was more, uh, more you know it was it, it was going to be you know you could re, re find that more in the urban areas versus the suburban areas. So right. that law was unjust by all means, a hundred and one ratio. Uh, 101 ratio. So then they lowered their law to an 18 to 1 ratio. Well, when I started doing research to that law, another law actually came into play, which this law, the conspiracy law, is actually incarcerating young black males, and they're not even being called up with drugs. Hmm. And there's so many young black males that's doing and, and actually in the book, the Black Mafia Family book, if you if you really read the book and, and, and even read the first book, BMF, about Big Meech, they never got caught with drugs. They all went down on the conspiracy law and the RICO Act, and they were sentenced to 30 years. Well, how the conspiracy law works is that when you have uh, 
another person that's actually testifying against you and, and, and tells, and you basically tell on you, and they're working for the federal government, that's, that's what that law is designed, it's designed to make, to, to have, make snitches. Well, what happens is, I compare that law to guys sitting in prison in the law library researching how the, the federal government works and how, the, how that law is so unjust to, I compare that to BBEs, which is disenfranchised business enterprises, MBEs, which is minority business enterprises, WBEs, which is women business enterprises, which is a law that's put in place to where if you're in business and you get those certifications, it guarantees you a it guarantees that you can win government bids. Where contracts. you know, you're going up against these these big companies, but you can win those contracts because you have a preference. And then a lot of times when you have that certification, a lot of these big companies look for you and they subcontract work to you. So one of the things that I said in the book is why wait until your life gets to the point where you're in the prison law law library to educate yourself on the federal laws? You can educate yourself on federal programs that are going to benefit you before your life gets to that point. And even though being in business, because, you know, I own a janitorial company, I owned a uh, armed and unarmed security company and had government contracts, even getting to those type of businesses, you're not going to make the kind of money that you'll make out there in the streets but it's going to be very comparable to it when you can pass down generations of wealth to your to your kids and your grandkids and their grandkids versus generations of prison sentences. Right, right. As well as not having to be looking over your shoulder all the time because somebody wants to rob you or, you know, um, entrapment by these police. Because I have seen videos where those informants, I saw this one video where this informant went into a actual place of business. I think it might have been like a head shop or something like that. And then he puts crack on the counter. And, and dropped crack on the counter and left out. And I saw that same video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that I saw that same video. So so these are the things that the Black Mafia Family St. Louis book actually talks about. It's a it has a very, very strong message in this book that that actually targets the young black male so they won't get caught up in this system. Mm-hmm. Well, um Mr. Heyman, a lot of people are in the streets right now. There is a um nationwide conversation about black life matters, you know, when somebody says, you know, a black life matter, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Uh but a lot of our people and people want to focus on black youth but there are females getting shot. There are elderly black people getting shot, you know, and there are people of all different races and, and, and ethnicities who are getting shot. But the thing is, is that, you know, we are the, seem to be the most targeted. Well, not seem to be. We are the most targeted. How, how do we address that issue? How do we address this issue about, you know, being fearful of the police because we keep seeing all these headlines of how they're shooting us down and getting away with it. Well, and, 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 and here's one law that, um, that really a lot over 33 states have in the United States. And, and this law actually is, is making it almost legal for the police and for, you know, the other nationalities, the white man took kill us off, and that's Castle Doctrine. 
if you look at these states that, that have castle doctrines, in states like Florida that actually amended theirs and added stand your ground to that castle doctrine, which gives somebody the right to commit murder, basically, because there's no duty to retreat. That's, some, some states have no duty to retreat. Some have stand your ground. Some have lying in the sand, but it's all the castle doctrine. And what that does is that says if you're in your home and an intruder comes into your home, you don't have a duty to retreat. You can kill that intruder for intruding into your home. That's your castle. Well, some states actually changed that and said that you have a no duty to retreat any place where you have a place to where you have a right to be. So you can be at the grocery store, and if you feel like somebody has a uh, is intruding on you, you can kill them. If 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 you're if you're at the gas station and you feel like somebody is intruding on you, you can kill them. And that castle doctrine is actually creating a situation when you look at the African American male is more likely to have a felon on his back versus the white male. Once you have a felon, you don't have a right to bear arms. So right. if the white man has more of a right to bear arms, and now that law actually gives him a right now to commit murder while bearing arms, now they're killing us off one one incident at a time, and the laws are protecting them. So what we need to do is look at our individual states. And when we go to the polls and we're voting in politicians, we need to explain to these politicians, we want you to repeal this castle doctrine because that castle doctrine is what's actually getting getting people off from, from killing our, our young black males. Mm. But once again, if we don't know what we're fighting, we can't win the war. But what about in terms of the police, though? That That's who I really want to focus on because they have a license to kill. And, and you know, my, my assertion is, is that we have to go back hundreds of years to the 1600s and see the creation of the first so-called police department called the Night Watch, which arose out of the slave patrols. And so I, I feel like that's what they're still doing. They're out there slave patrolling. And if you won't come along willingly, well, you know, you get lynched by bullets. Well, in my opinion, even with the police having a badge, when they go up to in front of the Supreme Court and they're trying to trying to get an indictment for a police killing a, a young black male, that castle doctrine comes into play. Oh, really? Really? That's and, and so, this is what your research shows, and you bring out in the they, book. It, it it brings out the fact that that castle doctrine come into play because if the castle doctrine says that he has the right, because other than that, without the castle doctrine, it would actually be excessive force. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But with the castle doctrine, it overrides excessive force, so he walks with no charges being filed. That's is that why we always hear. The common refrain, I was in fear for my life. That's it, because the Castle Doctrine protects them. So if so once we start learning these things, and this is some of the things that my books talk about, um, you know, it talk about these laws that's in place. And, and like I said, it, it took me almost two years, two and a half years to write the one. And um and it and it talks about like that that Black Mafia family book, it mainly talks about the laws that's more geared at the the streets mm-hmm. that's unjust. Then the stand your ground talks about the laws that's more unjust when it comes to like these senseless murders on our young black men. So you know it's just a, a lot of research was put into it. 
um, you know, and, and I really think that, um, I mean, I was writing, but it wasn't, it wasn't me that was actually writing my hands and my, and that pen was just a tool. I mean, I was doing something that my creator actually gave me the power to do. Um, I I have a question, um, cause I do a lot of research as well in, into laws, uh, part of my abolitionist uh, work, because you're exactly right. Um, you know, a lot of people, We'll cite the 13th Amendment. They will read it in its entirety. I just seen this guy post a video on YouTube where he even throws the, the 13th Amendment in its entirety up on the screen for everybody to read, to go along as, as he reads it. But, but then he makes the statement that slavery was abolished. Now I, I'm one to think that you can't abolish something and make an exception for it at the same time, that that's not true abolishment. So a lot of people don't even realize what's in their own state constitutions. And a lot of the state constitutions, not all, mirror the language of the 13th Amendment. And and that's why you'll have um, attorney general out there in California arguing against the Supreme Court's order that you need to let people out of prison due to overcrowding. And they argue, well, if we do that, we will deplete our source of cheap labor. So, so one of the things in terms of, and I got kind of off track, but one of the things in terms that, that I'm working on, uh, in terms of stopping, you know, these killings of all these unarmed people that's out there in the street is to stop the contact. Uh, number one, to stop the contact or the interaction between police officers and our young black men. All right. And one of the, one of the, uh, the president of the largest police union in the United States that has over 300,000, uh, members, uh, after those two police officers were killed, uh, in, in, um, North, um, excuse me, in New York City, he calls, he is calling on Congress to pass hate crimes protections for cops. And that got me to thinking. I was like, okay, I know how politics work. So maybe I should work on getting a petition up to the members, uh, to the entire Congress, but particularly the black political caucus or the Hispanic political caucus and say, hey, if somebody puts that bill on the floor to put cops under hate crime protection simply for the uniform that they wear, then it seems logical to me that some companion or a rider bill ought to be attached to that legislation or either introduce standalone legislation that classifies racial profiling as a hate crime. I, 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 and as long as initiatives like yours, I mean, because I think that we all, you know, we all are put on this earth for a purpose. We have a purpose. So as long as initiatives like yours, you know, my passion for just writing books that's going to educate you and make you aware of certain things along with assisting you in, 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 in your endeavors of what it is that you're, you know, you're targeting to do. And as other people, as, as each person just, you know, start realizing their purpose, if we realize our purpose and we start, you know, actually doing something toward our purpose to realize that this is this is what we're put on this earth to do. I mean, we change our thoughts, we change our lives, and I really am a firm believer of that. I mean, I don't have too much more time because I do actually have another interview that okay. I got taken a few minutes too, so I don't have that much time left, but uh, I mean, I'm, I'm more than willing to come back on the show at, at a later date so we can dis- discuss this even further, but, you know, two things, I mean, I really want to leave your listeners with. I mean, you know, 
that book, Black Mafia Family, St. Louis, The Untold Story, I mean, the, the title of the book may, may make you think that it's something that you don't want to read. But once you actually read that book, you're going to see that it's something that it's a must read. All right. Is there a website where, or social media, any kind of information where people can connect with you through social media that you like to give before you go? Yeah, you got the, uh, the, the website is actually the name of the book, Black Mafia Family St. Louis, a book, um, com, www.blackmafiasaintlouisbook.com. And then also at Instagram and Twitter is St. Louis BMF. All right. Well, Mr. Jerry Heyman, thank you for your work and research on behalf of our community. And you have a great day, sir. We will be in touch as we would like to have you back. Okay. And thank you for having me. All right. Bye-bye now. Good good day. All right. That was uh, Mr. Jerry Heyman. Again, he is a author of the book Black Mafia Family, St. Louis, The Untold story we have actually linked to the book um on amazon and linked to uh his profile and um so yeah we want to transition uh to get into some of today's news i want to update people on the naacp bombing i don't have a whole lot of information to update you with but i do have some observations about this fbi investigation as well as i will share some observations made by some people uh, who shared them with me on Facebook. Then I want to uh, discuss Cops versus Freedom of Speech. That's an article by Mumia Abu-Jamal's brother. Uh, his name is Carl. I can't remember his last name. Um, and I want to talk about the hypocrisy of, you know, freedom of speech in America or, you know, in European-dominated uh, countries and cultures. Um, also, I want to specifically focus on Israel and, uh, and America's free speech hypocrisy. All right. So uh, we're going to take a, a short break and then we'll come back. We'll jump into the news. If you have any comments that you would like to share, uh, even if it has to do with anything Mr. Heyman just said or I said during that interview, you can bring that up and you can get in touch by calling 530-881-1400. The participant code is 549-032-POUND. Uh, then hit star six and the number one on your telephone keypad, and uh, we will get your commentary. So y'all stay tuned. Uh, we will be back on the other side. Militant, raised in the tenements. Men say they innocent with ill intent. So I pray for immigrants that be pillaging. Drinking water from sewers, people pissing in. Synagogue, the men of God, they killing kin. Similar to America and the Indians. The new slave ship in jail cells holding Africans. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And welcome back to the live drive at five right here on the Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, this program airs live every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at five o'clock PM Eastern time. Uh, we got some great guests lined up for you this week. Tomorrow we will be talking about 
uh, the 10 steps to destroying a black man. I don't have the authors of that article's name in front of me right now, but he will be joining us tomorrow. A young brother of uh, the article was published on raprehab.com and it just lists 10 points of how to destroy a young black man. And I thought it was an excellent, uh, commentary on the rap game and how the rap game is used to destroy, you know, the lives of black people and particularly young black youth. Uh, we see, we do have a caller on the line. I want to uh, go ahead and get your comments in area code 414. Can you share your first name with us and go ahead with your question or comment? Uh, can I be heard? Uh, yes, you can be heard. Okay, this is Rob calling from uh, the Milwaukee area. Thanks, Rob. Uh, I just had an observation. Um, looking at white supremacy as a system and uh, knowing that it operates in nine uh, areas of people activity, law being one of those areas, mm-hmm. uh, it just seems as though that as long as we're under the system, the laws will always reflect uh, benefiting the system, making sure the system stays dominant and or like, you know, if something changes, then the laws will just change. Um, That's the only comment I have. Well, let me ask you uh, some follow-up questions to that. And um, I I agree with that. Do you think it's important, like our previous guest, Mr. Heyman, said that um, we know these laws, that we study these laws to say what they, you know, to know that they exist and what their purpose is? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. And that's kind of what made me uh, want to give some input because just kind of brainstorming on what he was saying. I think that being aware of the laws uh, can help you navigate the system a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um and I just that I think that it will help you navigate the system a little bit better, but it's still a system. Right. You know, and uh, you know, I'm just at a point in my life where, you know, I'm I'm tired of being subject uh to somebody else and my people being subject to somebody else. And uh it just seemed like it just it's just a lot of rhetoric, a lot of indirect talk, um and just a, I would just call it just not fear. But um, not people being not on the same page, not knowing that you have an army behind you, mm-hmm. it's like, well, hell, what can I really do? So you just go along to get along. Mm-hmm. Um, now I have I I learned this saying from somebody else. Um, because I do, you know, uh, work and I interview and I talk to and communicate with behind the scenes with a lot of revolutionaries. Um, I'm talking about former Black Panther Party members, former Black Liberation Army members, some of them living abroad because, you know, the system has deemed them to be terrorists. And so, you know, they knew that they were not going to get justice in a system of injustice. So uh, they fled to safety. Um, now, what some of the things that they talk about whenever we talk about changing laws, because, you know, he mentioned stand your ground. I know a lot of people talked about when Trayvon Martin was killed about repealing stand your ground. We don't hear any more talk about that anymore. Um, 
Right. And then my proposal that, okay, if, if these terrorists calling themselves police want hate crime protections, I think then some legislation ought to be introduced, you know, to classify racial profiling as a hate crime, you know, and, and, but like, like those revolutionaries I, I mentioned talk about is, you know, at first they were against it and they were saying, you know, that we have to tear the system down. And not, and I agree with that wholeheartedly, but until we have a mass awakening, um, I feel like that we can't sit around and do nothing, that we should do whatever we can to alleviate some of the pressure off our people pending revolution, pending the collapse of the system, however it comes about. Uh, you have any thoughts on that? Oh, I would I would definitely agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. You have to do something to be active in the fight. Um, it just kind of seemed like just a rolling on the Ferris wheel, you know, on the little wheels spinning around. Though, um, and not and I'm not saying that to say that we should stop fighting. I'm not saying that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, just more of the. I don't know. It's it just, just frustrating. That- it's, I get you. It's frustrating <laughs> trying to, trying to, um, interject justice in a system that ain't built on justice and ain't, ain't yeah. and it isn't meant to produce justice for non-white people. So it is frustrating. Um, I, I certainly get that. Yeah. Like, um, because, okay. Like we have decades and decades and decades and decades of black people being murdered, uh, mistreated, uh, just anything under the sun, just being mistreated at the hands of white people. Um, and we've seen nothing change. The only thing that's changed right now is the Internet. So more people are actually seeing what's going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, a certain group of people has always been saying, you know, talking about the mistreatment at the hands of white people. But I think now that, uh, and I'll just be flat out honest, I think people with degrees, people that have been going to school, and, you know, people that have been so-called doing the right thing, mm-hmm. um, uh, it's starting to get a wake-up call, too. And mm-hmm. not, you know, saying, oh, well, it's not just the criminals. You know, it's, it's all the black people. Um, so, you know, seeing that, I just, you know, like, okay, I put myself in a situation like as I sit back now that I'm feel that I'm being less confused or attempting to be less confused about what racism is and how it works, I feel a little contempt toward my family for not teaching me that white people are my enemy. Mm-hmm. Because me not knowing that, me not knowing what racism is and how it works, I'm not equipped to deal with the white side of the chessboard when I leave my home. You weren't told that you're living behind enemy lines. Exactly. You know, everybody, you know, this whole Christian thing, everybody loving white people, the white Jesus, you know, and everybody all together singing Kumbaya, and that's not the truth. No, it's not. No, it's not. Well, I want to thank you for your uh, commentary. Uh, I'm sorry, did you have something else to share? No, no, I just want to take my hat off to you, man, for the work you do. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm a faithful listener to the Black Talk Radio Network, and uh, just thank you, man. I appreciate it. All right. Well, well um, you're welcome. And um, like Mr. Heyman was talking about, we all should have a calling, a purpose, and I feel like 
my purpose is to help get voices out there and make them available that, you know, are not being made available elsewhere. Um, so thank you for your call. Thanks for taking my call. Q&AQ is cleared. All right. I want to, and, and just another point um, about educated people, these people with these degrees getting a wake-up call. Um, I'm, I'm working on this article about Tim Wise uh, practicing racism by asserting that under freedom of speech doctrine, under the First Amendment, that white people can go to Times Square and stand in Times Square, Square and call black people niggers, that they have a right to do that under freedom of speech. And so I've been researching this for two, three days, finding every court case I can, um, the basis uh, for these arguments, and it, it's a bunch of lies. It's a bunch of lies. And, you know, for uh, Tim Wise, he's a political science major, um, probably has another degree that I'm not recalling. Um, then a person who agreed with him, a a non-white person who is well known, and I'm not going to reveal her name until I put it in the article, co-signing on to that. And, and I was just thinking today, y'all went to universities of higher learning. So either, you know, those degrees did not teach you how to critically think about things and research stuff before you open your mouth and co-sign on to a racist suspect saying he has the right to to uh, hurl racial epithets at, at black people as they're walking through Times Square is or, you know, you just very, very ignorant, you know. And, and so, yeah, I, I think that's important. And I want to talk about that tonight because a lot of so-called educated people I've been seeing who have been co-signing on to that very thing that people have a right to produce hate speech and you know there's a long history of what hate speech has produced uh right here in america and worldwide so i I just don't see how people can co-sign on to this to this white supremacist ideology about free speech when um I, i i'm about to talk about a couple of stories where they're not applying to that that free speech to black people and there are not millions of people holding the protest for these black people whose free speech has been taken away from them so yeah i want to talk about that but first i want to give you an update on the um naacp bombing of the office in colorado springs colorado um on friday uh last friday the fbi announced that it will offer a ten thousand dollar reward for anyone who has information that could help them in the investigation of this of this uh heinous uh act of terrorism white terrorism all right so um if, if you don't know the details let me just g- quickly give you the details on tuesday uh that was last week tuesday an explosive device was detonated a ied as they call it improvised explosive device uh was detonated outside of a building that houses the local naacp chapter in colorado springs this building also houses a black barbershop um, and according to the FBI, it was detonated near a gas can that fell to ignite, which thereby minimized the potential damage. Uh, from what I read, uh, the, the IED was still strong enough to knock things off the wall. Uh, if someone had been walking past that, that IED, 
Um, they probably would have been killed if it knocked stuff off the wall. It left uh, scorch marks on the building. And again, the barbershop or hair salon that that's in the same building. Now, this, this is what this is what um, I want to point out. First thing I want to point out is I don't think the FBI is very serious about catching these terrorists. Um, I'm hearing things now they are investigating it as an act of domestic terrorism but at the same time they are saying that they're looking for a motive okay NAACP building black barbershop I mean do you think that they were blowing up the, try, attempting to blow up this building because they didn't want black people to get their hair cut okay I, I don't think so I, I really don't think so. And we know the history of white terrorism in this country of terrorizing and, and, and blowing up stuff. You know, like there's a TV series coming out called Bombingham, which is what Birmingham, Alabama was called. Back in the day, they had so many uh, white terrorists bombing black people. So for them to say that you, they're looking for a motive, that's that's a clue right there that they are not being very serious uh, about this investigation. And as somebody pointed out to me, as they were looking at the photos of these different cops and FBI agents, you know, uh, they didn't seem to be very serious about their job. Bunch of standing around and talking and laughing and whatnot. And so, yeah, that's another clue that they may not be serious about catching this terrorist. Now, here, here's another thing that, okay, yeah, and I took, I post, I, when I saw the picture of this sketch of this guy, I'm like, what is this? Who drew this picture? Is this a, a sketch? Was this sketch done by a 12 year old child or something? You know, um, not to say that 12 year old children aren't, aren't expert, you know, at drawing things. Um, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of talented. My, my daughters, both of them are very talented with art, with, uh, artistry and drawing things. But this particular drawing that you're putting out to the public, um, that you're looking for this guy, Man, it looks like a space alien. And somebody posted on Facebook that that's the same thing that they thought when they saw it. Like Roger, you know, the cartoon series American Dad. Uh, Thomas said, you know, what is this? This the alien that played that, that, uh, the cartoon character on American Dad. And I'm like, you know, these people aren't very serious about catching this guy. Um, now. Here's something that uh Janet Shan, who is a black media producer, I believe she's on Twitter, uh under Janet Shan of uh, she also uh manages the website Hinterland Gazette. I think the uh website is hinterlandgazette.com. And she said, this is what she said. She said ten thousand dollars isn't a lot of money. I thought, you know, that they I think they should offer more than just $10,000. And when she made that comment, I was like, wow, that's a good point. Um, and it led me to start thinking about Asada Shakur. They offered $2 million, They just upped the reward money for the capture, and I don't know, probably killing as well, of our elderly sister, Asada Shakur, black revolutionary who has been given political asylum in Cuba. 
And you may have been paying attention where they were talking about easing some of the restrictions on Cuba. Um, you know, the New Jersey police and a whole bunch of other police thugs were talking about and politicians as well talking about turning Asada over. They need to, you know, uh, capture this terrorist. Uh, Sada Shakur didn't blow up anything. All right. She did not blow up any buildings. She didn't attempt to blow up any buildings. No. What she practiced was, was, um, black self-preservation and preach black pres, uh, self-preservation, uh, black self-defense. Okay. And so, you know, I'm not here to give you her whole bio, but the woman has put in a lot of work for the people. You know, she is a well-known revolutionary and, 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 and uh, a champion of the people. And so just think about that. They're actually, they're offering far, 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 far more money for Sada Shakur, who has been living in Cuba, not bothering anyone for over 30 years. And then on the anniversary of the police, New Jersey police ambushing Asada Shakur along with Sundiata Akoli and I forget the other brother's name. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, the ambush on those, those members of the BLA, um, they put her on the most wanted terrorist list. The FBI's most one the first woman in the history of the fbi's top 10 terrorists the first woman ever to be put on there and they offered two million dollars okay so what they you know, um you know trying to find this terrorist that tried to murder these black people uh, in the building where the naacp is housed they only offering ten thousand dollars uh, $10,000 reward. So I don't think the FBI is being very serious about catching this terrorist and, um, the media, um, isn't very serious about publicizing this story either. And I will continue to follow this story. Now, you know, they released this sketch again. It looks like a space alien to me with sunglasses on. Um, they say he's approximately 40 years of age and balding. Um, so I don't know if he got hair on the side or what, but it looks like he's totally bald on, on, on this sketch. Um, and he's driving a white pickup truck, a mid 2000 model with possible paneling or railing, a dark colored bed liner and open or missing tailgate and a missing or covered license plate. So anyone with information regarding, uh, this terrorist, uh, should, is encouraged, all right, to call the FBI Denver tip line. That is the FBI Denver tip line. Uh, let me see. They did not provide the phone number, uh, msnbc.com that published this article on the 10th, two days ago. Uh, they didn't provide that number for you, uh, nor is there a link. So you have to Google, uh, the FBI Denver, uh, office and you should be able to find it. So I, I, those are just my observation, you know, about this terrorist attack. Uh, people want to talk about the twit, want to focus all their attention on the quote unquote terrorist attack that happened to this racist, uh, and religiously bigoted magazine, uh, racist suspects. And I, I would even dare to call them white supremacists given that we have evidence of their work in white supremacy. So everybody wants to focus on that, but very, uh, few 
uh, uh, resources, it seems, in terms of media and whatnot, is being uh, focused on an attack right here on American soil. Nor are they, uh, nor are they really talking about the latest um, um, plot that the FBI so-called discovered of this militia group in Georgia. Now, you know, I, I, I am not one to just take what the government says and the media says is fact, but they are claiming that these white militia groups was wanting to, uh, were plotting to kill police officers. They even, uh, mentioned the Atlanta, uh, a Atlanta police station that they wanted to attack. And allegedly they were recruiting people online to attack other police. And my first thought was, well, at least they ain't talking about attacking black people. Okay. They ain't not talking about blowing up the NAACP headquarters or, or national action network or assassinating Al Sharpton or anything like that. That was my first thought, you know, but isn't it interesting that, you know, very few people have even heard about this attack or this alleged plot to attack police, um, you know, and I think it has to do with they are focusing on making black people to be, you know, the terrorists right now. So, yeah, that's my thoughts on that. Uh, the next story that I want to jump on is I've linked up this speech that was given by uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal, um, the uh, political prisoner, Mumia Abu-Jamal, also a journalist. Uh, his brother's name is Keith Cook, and he gave a speech at a uh, December 5th uh, public forum, which was organized by the Labor Action Committee to free Mumia, uh, prison radio, and Oakland teachers for Mumia. And this was held at the La Pena Cultural Center in Berkeley, and it was titled Cops Versus Free Speech. And again, you know, people are just going out of their way. And famous people, ordinary people, all on Twitter, all on Facebook, who are just just besides themselves and showing their support for for these racist white supremacists to have the right to demonize Muslims, have the right to call the French defense justice minister uh, to take a, a picture of her head and put it on a monkey. You know what I'm saying? Oh, people are just, just all, man, they are throwing up pictures, talking about I am Charlie, uh, 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 how do you pronounce their name? Deb do, uh, whatever. You know what I'm saying? We'll just call them racist. All right. Yeah, they're, they're throwing up pictures and talking about how I'm just like, yeah, really? That's what you're saying? That you're a bunch of racist and religious bigots? Um, that's what you're saying when you say I am Charlie Hebdo? I think that's how you pronounce the name. Uh, in, in English, it means Charlie Brown after the Charlie Brown comic strip. Uh, but anyway, nobody, I haven't seen any worldwide condemnation of the state of Pennsylvania and the outgoing governor, Tom Corbett. I don't see anybody calling out the, the uh, Philadelphia police or the Pennsylvania police unions for passing this law to, to strip Mumia Abu-Jamal specifically, but of course they had to write it up so it didn't seem like they were targeting him specifically, but we know the deal. Um, but they passed this law to, silence him to stop prison radio 
from going into the prisons and recording the thoughts of not only Mamia Abu Jamal, but other political prisoners as well. And we share their those radio commentaries on our station. They're in rotation and you'll hear them play every once in a while when we're not on the air live. But yeah, they want to stop that. They don't want these political prisoners to comment on the system of racism and white supremacy. They don't want to talk about the imperialism of, of, of America, which is global racism and white supremacy. No, we want to shut them down. You know, they were just beside the fraternal order of police was just beside itself when those students at Goddard College in Vermont chose Momia, who is a graduate of Goddard College, uh, when they chose Momia to give their commencement speech, of course it was pre-recorded cause they weren't going to let him out of prison to go to his alma mater and give this speech in, in Vermont. So they, it was recorded. Now those students chose, this is who the students chose. So you don't care about those students. What about those students rights of free speech to hear from whoever they want to hear from, you know? See what I'm saying? And, 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 and so where is the outrage? Where is all of the millions of people in the streets, you know, carrying signs saying, I am a, a Mumia Abu Jamal? Huh? Where, where are you? Where are you? You know, I see you on Facebook and whatnot, and, you know, you're talking about the right for haters to hate on people in publications and whatnot, calling it free speech. But where are you? You know, this is like three or four months old, this law that was passed in Pennsylvania, you know. So where are you? Where are, where is all the outrage or this, this terrible assault on the First Amendment rights? And, and it's not just the people that's behind bars, but it applies to people once they get out of prison as well. So, um, I'm not going to read the, uh, speech that he gave, but I just wanted to make you aware, um, that it exists and that it has been published on blacktalkradionetwork.com in the blog section and i want you to go ahead and 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 read it so i will share just a brief excerpt i'll share the first uh paragraph of his speech with you and again this is keith cook the brother of mumia abu jamal it says thank you for inviting me again to be a part of this essential timely discussion that we should be having across our nation free speech For most of us who are activists, what does the Fraternal Order of Police, commonly known as the FOP, have to do with it? Thus the name of this forum, Cops versus Free Speech. As most of you know, back on October the 5th this year, Pennsylvania passed a law that allowed judges to prohibit and punish those who amplify Momia's voice. Uh, um, You know, I don't know where prison radio is located. And I don't know, I, I don't think, I'm, well, I'm pretty sure, but you can't be sure in this country. Uh, but anyway, that the Pennsylvania law would apply to me since I'm amplifying his voice by playing his voice on this station. Uh, we are North Carolina based, uh, a nonprofit, a black talk media project. And so th- if I lived in Pennsylvania, I'm sure they would be coming after me as well. All right. 
And so he goes on to say, uh, Pennsylvania passed a law that allows judges to prohibit and punish those who amplify Mamiya's voice. This new law was written in direct response to the pre-recorded commencement address at his alma mater, Goddard College in Vermont. This law is another example of the long-standing vendetta by the state of Pennsylvania and the FOP against Mamiya. So you all here know something about free speech because the free speech movement was started here during the 1964-1965 academic year on the campus at UC at Berkeley. It was a student protest that was unprecedented in scope. And this is the 50th anniversary of that protest. So where, where, where are the nationwide protests? Where are the speeches from the United States, uh, president? Where, you know, did he hold a press conference and, and condemn, uh, the governor of Pennsylvania and the police about, you know, uh, freedom of speech and that they should hold that as a sacred right, you know, no matter who's saying it and what they're saying. You know what I'm saying? So again, this is just, this is just evidence of the hypocrisy of racism and white supremacy. Um, yeah, you want to stand up for a bunch of white bigots over there in France that aren't even Americans. Okay. But you are not a part of this movement to protect the free speech right, rights of political prisoners and of organizations like the one I run. Uh, uh, Black Talk Media Project and the one no, no, Noel Hammerhand runs called Prison Radio, which you can find on the web at prisonradio.org. So what, this is a direct assault on our free speech rights. So yeah, I would just like to see some consistency in all of this outrage about, uh, suppressing freedom of speech. All right, I do have one more story that I would like to share uh with you. Um at this time I'm going to take a short break and when I come back I'm going to continue on this theme about free speech and Israel and I just told you about America's free speech hypocrisy, but I want to point some things out about Israel as well. So y'all stay with me. Uh we're going to take another uh break and then we come back I will wrap it up with that with my observations about that. And it is related to Charlie Hebdo in France as well. So uh, stay tuned. Like grace founded on to purge a person Great things and beatings and suffering and worsens Like human packages tied up in strings Black rage can come from all these kinds of things Like race founded on blatant denial, sweet economics, subsistence. This is Sudana Coley from FCI Cumberland, Maryland, speaking on the May 13th Move Commemoration Activities. May 13th, 11 Move family members, five of them children, the rest women and men, who were savagely murdered, slaughtered, and massacred by the Philadelphia Police Department. As I recall, MOVE had been waging constant demonstrations calling for the release of the MOVE 9, their political prisoners who had been railroaded to prison in 1978 on a trumped-up murder charge. In an attempt to stop 
or curtail moves demonstrations. The police attacked them by helicopter, which dropped a C-4 plastic explosive bomb on their house, setting it afire. When Move tried to escape the planes, police gunfire drove them back into the house where they all, children, women, and men, burned to death, except Romana Africa and a young boy, Bertie Africa. Firefighters stood by in that Move's house and surrounding neighborhood, burned to the ground, turning 200 of its residents into instant refugees. Ramona was hospitalized for a month with very severe burns, and because she miraculously survived the fire, she was charged and convicted of inciting to riot and sentenced to seven years in prison. She completed the sentence and remains today one of the fiercest fighters for the freedom of moved political prisoners, all political prisoners, all oppressed people, and for all life in general. The move nine political prisoners originated from an earlier police attempt to curtail Move's lifestyle by serving them with an arrest warrant or an eviction notice on August 8, 1978. That day, masses of Philadelphia police, armed to the teeth, laid siege on Move's residence opened fire and poured thousands of rounds into the house. Move's children took cover in the basement, which the police then flooded with water, and during the barrage of gunfire, a policeman was hit and killed by a single bullet. A reporter at the scene said the shot came from across the street and not from Move. When the police ceased fire, Delbert Africa emerged from Move's house and was immediately swarmed by the police and viciously beaten into semi-consciousness on live nationwide TV. All nine MOVE members were convicted of third-degree murder of a policeman who was killed by a single shot when Momia Abu Jamal, known as the Voice of the Voiceless, who was in the street at the time in his professional capacity as a news reporter, called presiding judge Marlamed and asked, who shot the policeman? The judge replied, I haven't the faintest idea. They were tried as a family, so I convicted them as a family. All were sentenced to 30 to 100 years in prison, where they remain to date 36 years later, except Merle Africa, who died in prison under suspicious circumstances. So we have one policeman killed by a single shot, and nine moved defendants, none of whom were convicted of conspiracy, nor were any of the women convicted of weapon possession, yet all nine moved members were convicted of the same murder. In other words, nine murderers for one murder victim. Such multiple murderers convictions are disproportionately applied to people of color and other selected poor people. It artificially inflates U.S. violent crime statistics for people of color and greatly increases their numbers among those serving long sentences for the most violent crimes, when in reality most such murderers have killed no one, not even considering that the policeman was shot from across the street and not from move. Uh, and so we gather to commemorate move 
which I'm honored to do, particularly so because I've been fortunate enough to have met and bonded with one of the Move 9 Field Africa at the USP Leverett, Kansas, during the 80s or so. I could not have met a better comrade. Very personable, highest integrity, very intelligent, good politics and courage, yet easygoing and not puffed up with his own self-importance. Or in other words, a comrade's comrade, who was too soon transferred to ports unknown, but left an indelibly favorable impression on me. And why I'd like to use this occasion to commemorate both Move 11 and Move 9, or both Moves Living and Dead. We commemorate the dead by remembering them, by honoring them. For as long as one person remembers their name, they yet live among us. We commemorate the living by remembering and honoring them also, and by coming together with them, working together with them for common causes. Move political prisoners want freedom. All political prisoners want freedom. And it's time we brought our political prisoners home. So let's step up our work together to make it happen. Let's bring them home. Move political prisoners and all political prisoners. Free them all. Bring them home. I thank you. These commentaries are recorded by Noel Hanrahan of Prison Radio. This is Brother Elliot, host of Time for an Awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. Welcome back to Black Talk Radio, the live drive at five. My name is Scotty Reed. I'm broadcasting from behind enemy lines. Uh, you just heard political prisoner Sunday Adi uh, Coley, uh, who uh, Supreme Court of the state of New Jersey ordered to be released. And the prison system is refusing to release him. And so, I mean, man, but that's the work of prison radio right there. Um, here, I, I just want to mention this briefly before we go off air. Noel Hammerhand is a white person. No, Noel Hammerhand is using white privilege to go into these prisons to record the speech of political prisoners, predominantly, uh, black people, predominantly non-white people. So she's using her white privilege to, to get these people's voices out there. And I certainly appreciate that. But then contrast that with Tim Wise using his white privilege to tell you that white people have a right to call you a nigger uh, on the street. That's I just cannot get over that. And people are just hitting me up on Facebook defending this man and, and, and saying, well, look at all his other work and all this and that. Yeah, he makes a good living telling white people uh, about white privilege and black people about white privilege, you know. So, yeah, he, he does he does good work in exposing some of that, but that doesn't mean he doesn't practice racism, which he is admitted to practicing. And I'm just so, I'm just so, uh, outdid by his assertion that white people have a white privilege to call black people niggers. So yeah, there's that. And I will be publishing that article about the so-called freedom of speech of white people to call, uh, other people racial slurs tonight. So, but any, anyway, 
again, you know, they didn't care about the free speech of move. They killed them. They murdered them because they wouldn't stop protesting. So don't again come at me talking about, oh, everybody got free speech rights in the United States or, you know, throughout the world. This is a sacred right and, and all this and that. I, I'm not trying to hear it. I'm not trying to hear, hear that. And any black person or non-white person that is trying to tell you that is ignorant. They are ignorant. Now, you know, I make no assertion that you know, white people aren't allowed to call us niggers on the street. Certainly they are. Okay. But my assertion is, is that, um, Tim Wise's assertion that it's codified in law is incorrect. And so why would you even say that? Why would you even push that out there in defense of Charlie Hebdo's speech, which he rightly called offensive? Um, I would have used the words racist and, and religious, uh, bigotry to describe what they were putting out that people are calling journalism. Just cause you put something in a journal does not make it journalism. So in, anyway, you know, again, what about our free speech rights? What about the free speech rights of black people to protest and demonstrate? Yeah, we saw what went down in Ferguson. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, anyway. I want to leave you with um, a bit of hypocrisy. Um, this was shared with me on Twitter. Well, actually, it was the tweet was shared with me on Facebook by one of the listeners of the program. Um, and it was a tweet that was by at D-O-A-M Muslims. And they uh, sent this tweet out on January the 8th. And it shows a picture of a dead journalist in Gaza and he's he's got a big press uh identifying you know badge on and he's lying dead in the streets of Gaza murdered by the Israeli government and the US government who once Israel was running out of bullets and bombs uh they pushed through some emergency legislation to rearm Israel all right and so they show a picture and this is what it says. 17 journalists were massacred by Israel in Gaza in 2014. What happened to freedom of speech? And they tag it with Charlie, Hebdo, and France. Where was the, all the outrage and, and, you know, uh, uh, sanctions against Israel and, and whatnot? Now, that led me to do some other research. And again, I was just researching freedom of speech. And I've been doing a lot of research over the past couple of days and, and putting out other articles uh, in preparation of my main article because I don't want to put too much information in one article because, you know, from my studying of how people consume media, you do not want to overwhelm them with information. So I've been breaking it down uh, in, in the different Facebook posts and, and articles. But I, I found out that in not only in France, but in, in most of the European Union, well, the European Union has laws against hate speech, but those law, those laws against hate speech are specifically written with Jews in mind to protect Jews from hate speech because of how the Nazi party used their uh, film, radio, cartoons, newspapers to demonize not only the Jewish victims of the Nazi party, but the communists, 
uh, the gypsies and other ethnic minorities, as well as black people or uh, handicapped people. You know, that is what hate speech has led to. One of the things that hate, hate speech has led to. So these white people and all their infinite wisdom said that, you know what? We don't ever want, uh, Jews to, to be subjected to all of this anti-Semitism, which we know has led to a genocide. They say over six million Jews were killed. Um, 11 million people total by the Nazis. But you know, everybody want to focus primarily on the six million Jews that were killed. So these white people in all their infinite wisdom said, you know what? Freedom of speech be darned. We just can't have people making, making these offensive cartoons, picking at Jews and demonizing Jews and, and drawing these characters of Jews with big noses and money coming out their ears. And you know, y- y'all know the typical stuff, how they like to demonize, uh, people of, Ju- um, I was about to say Jewish descent, but that would be incorrect cause you know, um, that's a religion. It is not a race or ethnicity. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, I found that there are hate crime, uh, hate crimes. Yeah. That's considered hate speech directed at Jews is considered hate crimes in Europe, including France. You can't even deny the Holocaust that I just got through talking about. You know, you can't say, well, I don't think that that many people willingly allowed themselves to be put into cattle cars and driven off to concentration camps and starved and and then burn up in ovens and well i mean that just doesn't sound logical to me you say something like that in europe guess what hate crime charge hate crime charge you going to prison because they most certainly going to get a conviction and since you know people want to put out that lie that charlie hebdo was a equal opportunity offender when one of their employees actually drew or writ or or wrote some satire uh targeting Jews, they fired him. They fired him and then tried to get him charged with a hate crime. These are the people that you are giving hero status to. These are the people that you are putting on Facebook and, and on social media talking about I am Charlie he do. These are the people. Okay, is that who you want to identify with? But you know, did you say I am the Israeli? I mean, excuse me, I am the international press that was murdered by Israeli government and American government? No, you did not. You did not. You didn't bat an eye at the at the deaths. Not only the deaths of these seventeen journalists. But all the women, men, and children, uh, that they killed and slaughtered. So, you know, again, um, Jews, these particular Jews, Ashkenazi Jews are European, uh, Ashkenazi are Jews who are from Eastern France, Germany, and, uh, Eastern Europe. Okay. They are titled Ashkenazi. They are Europeans. They are white. Uh, they are the largest, uh, 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 population of Jews in the United States as well as in Israel. Israel has hate crime speech laws against, guess who? Against Jews. So these are white Jews practicing racism and white supremacy who have, uh, uh, using their influence 
to get hate crime laws, uh, limiting freedom of speech or taking away the freedom of speech for anybody that would criticize them. The U.S. government, your tax dollars right now funds the U.S. State Department operation that tracks anti-Semitism expressions all around the world. But y'all won't talk about freedom. Uh, speech. I'm not saying that people should be out there making, you know, little cartoons about uh, Ashkenazi Jews and showing them with big noses and, and whatnot. And, you know, just all kind of the defamatory, derogatory type stuff. I'm not saying that because I, I don't believe that anybody, especially large publications, should be allowed to target any group including Muslims, including black people, including women, including homosexuals, all right? Because we have seen throughout history how media, in the uh, hate speech in the form of media has been used to justify and, and pacify populations to go right along with the extermination of certain groups, mainly non-white people. So, want y'all to just think about that. When y'all see uh, the pictures of the Israeli Prime Minister marching, participating in protests for freedom of speech in France, just recognize, just recognize that in his own country, hate speech has been used to demonize Africans, African immigrants, and black Jews as well, particularly Ethiopian Jews, all right? And that has led to race riots. And when I say race riots, I'm not talking about these two different opposing groups doing damage to each other. No, I'm talking about racist uh, white mob violence like what we see uh, throughout the history of the United States. So, you know, y'all can uh, take that, that your protection of hate speech and shove it up you know where. Because I'm not trying to hear it. I am not ignorant of certain things. I, I'm ignorant about a lot of things. But if I'm ignorant about something, I will do research. All right. I am not one to just co-sign and go along with the crowd and be throwing up, you know, my support for a bunch of racist propagandists. I'm not going to do it. All right. So anyway, that's my program. Uh, let me see if I can quickly find the article, um, that is about the guest that we got coming on tomorrow. Uh, yes, I have located, uh, tomorrow we will be talking to, uh, author Andre G, Andre G about rap exploitation, how to destroy a black male in 10 steps. If you haven't seen the article, it's on uh, raprehab.com and I just want to go over some of these points that he raises and expound on those points if we can get some real world examples even though he does give some real world examples but it is a, a great article you know because like um, I have this clip of, of one of our brothers up there in, in Durham um, Sharif Hamid I had this clip I haven't played it in a while I got to get my promos together so I can start sharing more of those but he talks about 
how Paradise Gray, one of the members of X-Clan, talked about how hip-hop was used to expose the ills of society, to expose racism, white supremacy, to expose, you know, the things that are wrong in the black community. Um, You know, it wasn't all about just fun and games. It was tackling serious issues through hip-hop, through music as well, through rap music as well. And it wasn't what we see today to where now... Hip-hop is promoting black death and black murder and black-on-black crime and uh, all kind of degenerate behavior. And see, I don't even support that. People say, oh, you know, I support all free speech. No, I don't support that coming across the airways. Now, the Internet is not regulated. You can say anything you want on the Internet. I am not going to say anything about it. You can put up your garbage on YouTube, wherever. You know what I'm saying? But when it comes to these public airways, I'm talking about FM, AM, terrestrial airways, where radio stations have to get a license from the federal government and pay fees to have access to the public airways, that's not a right. That's a privilege, okay? And then you misuse our public airways to put out this hate speech, which has an impact on the young minds. See what I'm saying? How these people, I'm getting ahead of myself. So make sure y'all tune in tomorrow again at 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern time for another episode of the Live Drive at 5. And our guest will be Mr. Andre G. And we're going to talk about rap exploitation, how to destroy a black male in 10 steps. All right. Peace and blessings to all. Um, just recognize that we live behind enemy lines. And so you should um conduct yourselves accordingly Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.